want to say welcome uh, to Faith Lutheran Church. My name is Brian. I'm the pastor here at Faith. And uh, I know we've had many people visiting with us this summer, and uh, it's been so wonderful uh, to have so many guests among us. And so I just want to say special welcome uh, to you guests who are here. Uh, we're trying to do everything we can to make this uh, hospitable uh, as we worship in God's sanctuary outdoors. Uh, you ought to know that uh, the building is open on Sunday mornings if you need the restroom, uh, just not during the sermon, please. All right. Uh, I know that can be a quick uh, escape for some of you who might be inclined for that. But just know that there are restrooms available. Um, we also are broadcasting this on an FM transmitter. Um, so if you don't feel comfortable or you can't get out of your car on a Sunday morning. Is it 90.7, Jeff? Is that right? So you could just roll in here on a Sunday morning. Now, this is not super high tech, so you got to be in the parking lot uh, to pick up the FM transmission. But we've got some folks who are in their vehicles this morning, uh, and we just hope that this is a, a blessing for uh, them as well. Um, so anyways, uh, as Jeff said, we are in the middle of a sermon series uh, this summer uh, called Better Together. And if you've got your Bibles, I want to invite you to open to uh, the book of Acts. Acts is actually uh, the short and condensed version of the official title, which is called The Acts of the Apostles. Um, and hear the word act, action. It's about the early church. It's about what was going on after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's kind of a, a historical book. There's lots of people, lots of names, lots of events, and there is lots and lots of action. And this morning, we're going to be in Acts 9. Uh, Acts is found uh, right after the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. And uh, in the sermon series, which is called Better Together, the big idea of this sermon series is that oftentimes uh, many of us feel uh, like we're, we're a little bit different than everyone else, that we're a little bit less skilled, a little bit less talented, um, that we don't really have what it takes uh, to fully make a difference, maybe in the life of the church or the world. We all kind of have this inferiority, or most of us have this inferiority complex we just feel like, oh, if I could just do this or if I could just do that. And we thought, let's spend the summer looking at lots and lots of different personalities, different people in the New Testament, uh, in the early life of the church, people who are gifted in very, very different ways, who actually did extraordinary things for God's kingdom and the world. And so that's the idea behind this sermon series. And as Jeff said, uh, we're using uh, uh, this uh, uh, tool called the Enneagram Personality Assessment, which is like the Myers-Briggs or the DISC assessment. And if you have not taken the uh, Enneagram assessment, it's free. It's online. It'll take you maybe 20, 30 minutes. Uh, make sure you get one of these uh, before you go if you haven't taken it yet. Uh, and I would encourage everybody to do that. In addition, uh, again, as Jeff mentioned, uh, we're looking at this book called The Road Back to You. And this is, I think, a fun, winsome, and very helpful book to kind of give us some ideas, some thoughts about uh, what this could mean for our lives. And part of the Enneagram is that there are nine personality types. 
And the truth is, of course, none of us are a personality type. We are individuals, unique, created uh, by God, uh, as Psalm 139 tells us. These are just some little snapshots, some little insights to help us really understand ourselves and maybe understand uh, those around us, our loved ones. In fact, I was talking to my folks this week, and uh, they watched the sermon from a couple weeks ago where I was talking about my personality type. And uh, my, my dad said, you know, that was really helpful for your mother to understand uh, a little bit about uh, me uh, a- as well as him, because he's the same personality type. And so, I mean, there's some real live practical implication to this, hopefully, uh, if you take a look at it. Uh, but again, it's, it, it's not... Um, you know, uh, one of these things where it's it's set in stone. These are just little pieces, little possibilities for who God um, uh, might have created us to be looking at this particular tool. And today we're going to look at uh, a guy by the name of Barnabas. And some of you are thinking, Barna who? Right? But I want to just throw out there on the front end that Barnabas might be one of the most important, influential people of the New Testament that you've never heard of. Or if you've heard of Barnabas, you maybe have underestimated how significant his life was and his impact in the church and in the world. And my goal today is to convince you that we maybe didn't know a lot about Barnabas coming to church today, but Barnabas made a big difference and continues to make a big difference in your life and in my life. Everybody got their Bibles open to Acts 9? Yes. Awesome. All right. Well, let's pray. God, we thank you for a beautiful morning again. We thank you, God, for uh, your sanctuary, this place, this space that you've given to us to worship you, uh, this place where we can learn, where we can grow, where we can receive, um, where we can give. God, we pray that as we uh, open this story this morning, that you would open our lives, continue to reveal yourself to us, that, God, we would never grow tired or weary of of proclaiming your amazing grace in our lives and in this world. Now, Lord, may the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. For you are indeed our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You know, if you don't know much about the Bible, if you don't know much even about the Christian faith, you probably know that aside from Jesus Christ, Uh, the most important person in the New Testament in Christianity is the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul actually wrote about half of the New Testament. He's the guy that did that. The Apostle Paul uh, is the guy that went on three missionary journeys and planted dozens and dozens of churches. The Apostle Paul is the guy who was the chief theologian in the early church and continues to, in many ways, be the chief theologian in the church today because we read his letters through the New Testament. In fact, I could share with you Paul's, uh, the Apostle Paul's resume this morning, and and I could go on and on and on. Let me just condense it by saying it is about impossible for me to overstate the life and the significance of the Apostle Paul. But before the Apostle Paul was the Apostle Paul. He was a guy by the name of Saul, a very devout Jew. 
And Saul, uh, as a devout Jew, saw this new movement of Jesus followers, uh, these people that they sardonically called Christians. It was really a way to mock them and say, oh, that's just those Christians. And Paul and many of the other religious leaders of the day, they viewed uh, this new movement, these Christians, as a threat to their Jewish way of life. And they said, we have got to do something about this. We have got to stomp this out. We have got to squish this movement of Jesus followers. It has to go away because they are a threat to the Jewish way of life. And so that's what they did. They went around, they would search out uh, Jesus followers, the disciples and other Jesus followers, and they would persecute them, and they would torture them, and they would uh, ask them to, to renounce their faith, and they even killed them. Saul, the Apostle Paul, was once a religious terrorist. He was not a good guy. He was out to get people. He was out to get the Christians. And then one day, Saul had an encounter with Jesus Christ, and it transformed his life. And he went in the very short course of time from being a, 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 a fervent uh, denier of Jesus as the Son of God, as the Messiah, to one of its greatest advocates the world has ever seen. And it was just this amazing conversion transformational experience. And so Paul, Saul, what he did immediately after he had this conversion experience with Jesus is he thought to himself, I got to find the disciples. I got to find that group of Jesus followers, find their community, seek them out. I'm going to join the church and I want to be a part of the mission and the ministry of what it means to be a Christian. And so that's what's going on, all this to kind of set up uh, our story this morning in Acts 9. So if you've got your Bibles, we're going to look at this story in Acts 9, beginning uh, with verse 19. Acts 9, beginning with verse 19. And it goes this way. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who called on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. After many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him, but Paul, uh, Saul learned of their plan. Day and night, uh, they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill Saul, but his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. When Saul, Apostle Paul, uh, came to Jerusalem, he tried to join up with the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him, and how in Damascus he preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. 
When the believers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, the church increased in numbers. So let me give you a quick review. At the beginning of this story, there's the church, the group of disciples, and many other followers of Jesus Christ. And then there's Saul, the Apostle Paul on the outside. He was not yet a part of the church. And he shows up in Jerusalem and comes to the disciples and says, hey, I want to be a part of you guys, and I want to join with you and do the ministry and the work of Jesus in the world. And the disciples very understandably said, yeah, I don't think so. Aren't you the guy that was there who uh, was part of the martyring, the killing, the stoning of Stephen? Yeah, I'm that guy. Nah, you just stay there. We're good. We don't need you as part of our church. And by the end of the story, just nine, 11 verses later, there is the Apostle Paul, right in the midst of the church. What made the difference? A better question is, who made the difference? It was Barnabas. Look in your Bibles. You might even want to underline, as I did in my Bible, I think it's verse 27, but Barnabas. But Barnabas... Barnabas was the key, he was the linchpin in bringing the Apostle Paul uh, into the life of the church. Now let me just do a little bit of uh, speculating. If there had been no Barnabas, there may have never been the Apostle Paul, which means our New Testament would be significantly shorter, right? Without Barnabas, the impact and the influence and the theology and the passion in the life of the church might not have been uh, through the Apostle Paul because of this guy named Barnabas. But Barnabas, this guy who just shows up, he's the bridge, he's the linchpin, he's the link between the Apostle Paul and the church. And he brings them together and says, guys, let's give him a chance. Let's give this guy, Saul, a second chance. Does that sound like anyone else you know from Scripture who just kind of ran around giving people a second chance? That's who, that's who Barnabas was. He was the guy of second chances. The guy who had this just optimism. Hey, I think he's changed. In fact, I saw with my own eyes in Damascus, he had this incredible story, this incredible conversion with Jesus. I think we ought to let him in the church. And so that's what happened because of Barnabas. And this is why I think Barnabas was a seven on the Enneagram the enthusiast, also known as the optimist, the person who can find the silver lining in whatever bad situation is going on, the person who's willing to give others a second chance, the person who looks at whatever circumstances, whatever somebody has done in their past and says, I think we ought to invite them in. I think we ought to give them a second chance. I think God could actually work through that person. And so who is Barnabas? Who is this guy? 
You know, interestingly, um, Barnabas uh, is nowhere to be found in the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, when Jesus was doing ministry for those three years, we don't see or hear anything about Barnabas. He might very well have not been a Jesus follower. We don't know. Maybe he was there. Maybe he was at the Sermon on the Mount. We don't know. He's just absent from Scripture until the book of Acts. And earlier on in the book of Acts, uh, Barnabas has this encounter with Jesus. He has this radical conversion experience with Jesus. And he became so overwhelmed with God's grace and God's love in Barnabas's life that he sold everything he had. Just imagine this. He sold everything that he had, brought all the money to the church and said, here, you guys take it. And then he looked around at the church and say, okay, now everybody else sell everything you got. We're going to just pool our money together here. And this is how things I think ought to roll. And this really tells us a couple things about Barnabas. He was a committed guy, right? I mean, he was all in. He went from, um, you know, just we don't know anything about him, meets Jesus, and he is just all in 100%. So he is committed and he is generous. I mean, this is, we talk about this, we have this saying, put your money where your mouth is, right? That's Barnabas. He's the guy who put his money where his mouth is. He didn't just talk about Jesus in the church. He sold everything, all his property and said, here you go, folks, let's go. Let's do this Jesus thing. Let's do the church. I mean, that's, that's what we know about Barnabas um, early on in the, in, uh, in, in the Acts of the Apostles. And, he, and uh, he does this with just incredible enthusiasm and invites other people to be every bit as generous. You know, uh, Barnabas, um, it just doesn't stop there. Because throughout the, uh, the Acts of the Apostles, he continues to travel alongside the Apostle Paul. He's kind of like the Tonto to the Lone Ranger. He's kind of like the Robin to the Batman, I mean, he's kind of like the uh, Watson to the Sherlock Holmes. I mean, wherever the Apostle Paul traveled for the next several years, there was Barnabas encouraging. He was like the, the cheerleader. He was the cheering squad on the side going, Go, Paul! Come on, Paul! You can do it! Preach it, Paul! I mean, he was that guy. He was just always out there encouraging and supporting whatever Paul was doing. And he just believed in people. And this is one, one of the things I love about uh, Enneagram number sevens, the, the enthusiasts, the optimists. They're just out there. They're just, they, they believe in people. They believe in you. They believe in me uh, when, when, when nobody else does. They're, they're kind of like the kid in the candy shop, right? They walk in and they're like, okay, I want to taste everything. Everything. I, I'm, I'm just going to eat everything. And, and, and after even they get a stomachache, they're like, I'm going to keep going because I'm in the candy shop and I want to check it all out. There's just this level of uh, extraordinary enthusiasm and optimism to just keep going and going. And they just want to experience uh, everything. It, it, you know, the, the, the word, as I was thinking about Barnabas this week, uh, that comes to mind is just this extraordinary exuberance and enthusiasm. And uh, the, the word that comes to my mind is, is what my uh, Yiddish friends call chutzpah. Everybody say chutzpah. Chutzpah. Yeah, it's that guttural chutzpah. Does anybody know anybody with chutzpah? I mean, people with chutzpah are those people that are just like, ah, and they just, they go out there and they, and they say stuff and we're just like, whoa, did they just really say that? I mean, they're just like, they're out there, right? 
I mean, we think about these people with chutzpah, and it's, it's people like Howard Stern, right? Did he just say that? It's, it's, it's people like uh, Susie Orman. You know, it's these people that just, they have a little bit or maybe a lot less filter than the rest of us. They've got chutzpah. They just go out there and say, ah, it's what it is, you know? And they're just like, oh, whatever happens, happens. I mean, they just, they're not afraid. They've got this extraordinary amount of just, I'm just going to say it. And whether people like it or not, uh, that's up, uh, up to them. The other thing I love about uh, enthusiasts is they do life on the fly. They're just so flexible. They're, they're free spirits. They can just kind of go with the flow. And they're, they're the master of one-liners. They're like the Jim Carries of the world, right? You're just having this conversation. All of a sudden, they just drop something. It's like, whoa, that was funny. That was weird. That was, I don't really know what to do with that. I'm going to take about an hour to kind of think about that. And we're still inside going, woo, that guy's got chutzpah, right? I mean, there are these people that just, they, they're so quick on their feet and they can just um, wordsmith things. We're just like, wow, how do they do that? But these enthusiasts, uh, these optimists, they're also big time adventurers. They're, if we could just summarize them with one word, it would be next. They're just like, okay, what are we going to do next? I mean, they were like the Amelia Earharts of the, uh, the, the They are the Amelia Earharts of the world. They're the Elon Musks. You know, they're, they're these uh, Richard Bransons, these, these people who are just like, okay, we got to do the next thing. Because where we're at right now, it's fine, but, but we got better places to go. We got to do some stuff. Come on, let's go. No slowing down. This is fine, but we got to go. I mean, there are these people that are just always forward thinking and looking into the future. And frankly, they inspire the rest of us uh, to be a little bit better. Now, the interesting thing about uh, Enneagram 7s, the enthusiasts, the optimists, is that they are so forward-thinking that they can even be, uh, live in the future so much that they uh, at a fault to being in the present. They're the people who can go online, order a package of whatever it is, and be so excited to get that thing, uh, and, but by the time it shows up, they're like, nah, I'm not so interested in that anymore. Right? I mean, it's just all about anticipation, and, and that's the fun, the joy of the journey is just... What's next? What's next? They have so much trouble uh, sitting in the here and now. You know, one of the cautionary uh, pieces of Enneagram 7s is that they can develop a mentality of more is better. More is better. Well, if this much candy is good, then more candy must be better. If this many packages uh, is good, then more packages must be better. And the problem, the challenge, the caution with Enneagram 7s, these enthusiasts, these people with chutzpah, is that they can be really prone to addictions. Because more is always better. Shopping addictions, eating addictions, drug addictions, alcohol addictions, pornography addictions. I mean, the addiction list goes on and on and on. In fact, of all nine types, the sevens might be the most prone to addiction than all the others. And so there's just a caution for those sevens. Maybe here among us today are people that you know who are just like, wow, they're just so out there. But they really struggle with this idea that more is better. I keep losing my page here this morning. You know, each of the Enneagram types 
um, as we've talked about over the past few weeks, we've talked about how there's a positive side, a healthy side, and a negative side to each one of the Enneagram types. And then there's the caution side, or where probably most of us live in our Enneagram type. We're not, we're not quite there yet, but we're also not super unhealthy. And that's certainly true, the Enneagram 7s. Barnabas was without question a very healthy seven. He was a guy who was so optimistic uh, uh, about uh, other people. He would just walk into a room and he just automatically thought the best of others. When other people said, I don't know, he's got a past. She's done some stuff in her past that's not so good. Barnabas would just look and go, I, I think they can do better. And I think we ought to give them a second chance. And I love Barnabas's outlook on life because he's just so positive. He's so optimistic. And I, I just need a Barnabas in my life. I need somebody in my life who's going to just look at me and, and even know my past and say, you know what? I believe in you. I think God can still work in, in, in you in spite of your past, in spite of your sin, in spite of your brokenness, in spite of your mess. That's who Barnabas was. And I think in many ways he, he, he inspires me because he, just, he was such a healthy seven. You know, oftentimes uh, sevens are those guys uh, or, or gals who are always cracking jokes. I mean, they just make life fun and interesting. And they're so much fun to be around because they're, they're just light and, and uh, they make us feel good, right? And, and they help us to even believe in ourselves, and I think if, if a seven had a, a Bible life verse, it might be Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? I mean, they're just like, I can do this. We can do this. You can do this. I mean, it's their life verse. And, and, and if, if uh, Barnabas were to, that were to be his life verse, that was written by the Apostle Paul. You know, they're, they're, they're so much fun. But again, I'm just going to throw another cautionary tale out there for those sevens of you here today, is that you can also become pretty scattered. You can spread yourselves too thin because you're so focused on the future that you have trouble living in the here and now. I used to work with a seven at a church, and uh, he was Mr. Fun. I think I probably even called him Mr. Fun. He was just great fun to be around. He was always cracking jokes. Um, he was always singing something. Um, he, was just, he was fun. He was just fun. If you've ever worked with a, a seven a, a, as a colleague, they're just so much fun to be around. Except for uh, uh, every week when we have our regularly scheduled staff meeting, um, he oftentimes wouldn't show up. And nobody knew where he was, and he never bothered telling anyone. And we're like, where is he? And everybody's like, I don't know. And I talked to him later on, hey, where were you? And he's like, oh, yeah, I forgot about that, but it's okay. And then he would crack a joke. I'm like, I want to strangle you. These meetings are important. You're disrespecting the rest of the staff. I mean, sevens on the one hand, we can yuck it up and chuckle. But on the other hand, I want to kill you. Grow up which is a really big problem or can become a really big problem for a very unhealthy seven. I just want to put it out there. Sevens can be prone to the Peter Pan syndrome. 
just going through life. Everything's happy. Everything's fun. Everything's joyful. Everything's a joke. Just don't make me responsible. I want to be a child forever and sprinkle some pixie dust on everything, right? Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Does anybody know a seven? I mean, they, they, on the one hand, they are some of the most uh, extraordinary, fun-loving uh, people. On the other hand, they, they just drive us crazy. You know, I, I just, I'll, I'll throw it out there. Um, I love sevens so much that I actually thought I was a seven. I just, I love everything about the sevens, the healthy side of the seven. And before I took the Enneagram uh, online assessment, I'm like, oh, I'm a seven. I'm so a seven. I'm optimistic. I'm hopeful. I'm always looking for the silver lining. And I, I just love sevens. I love their outlook on life, their positivity. But the dead giveaway that I'm not a seven is that I'm an introvert. Yeah. I mean, sevens, they just never shut it off. I mean, they're just out there all the time. I shut it off, folks. I shut it off last week when I wasn't with you guys. I was out in the woods, not around people, just trees. It was awesome. It was a chance for me to recharge my battery. Little hint, I'm not a seven, which kind of bums me out because I think sevens are awesome. We all need sevens in our lives, people to inspire us, people to encourage us, people to look into our, our lives and say, you can do it. You get a second chance. I believe in you. Barnabas was a healthy seven. And not all sevens are as healthy as Barnabas. And so I'm going to close this morning by giving us three suggestions, three thoughts about how, if you're a seven, you might move from less healthy to more healthy uh, in your sevenness, in your uh, uh, enthusiasm, in your optimism. Number one, and you can write these in your Bible. Number one, embrace quality uh, over quantity. Embrace quality over quantity. Sevens, one of your greatest gifts is that you invite the rest of us to experience things that are just outside of our comfort zone. You're like, hey, let's try this. Let's go skydiving. Let's go scuba diving. Let's, you know, do diving diving. I don't know. You're just out there trying and inviting us to do all sorts of things. And you can have a tendency to flit from one thing to the next through your entire life. And so I want to invite you, I want to challenge you sevens out there to choose three things, three things where you're going to just focus on quality and not quantity. And if you're a seven, you're thinking to yourself, can I think of nine things or 12 things or 22 things? No, that's your problem. You're thinking about too many things. Three things, commit to them and dive deep and walk deep in those things and be committed to those things day in and day out. Write them down. Say, these are the three things that I'm going to build my life upon and have a long-term view for you, number sevens. Focus, embrace uh, quant quality over quantity. Number two, seek out accountability. You need help. That's why this sermon series is called Better Together. None of us can do life on our own by ourselves. And you sevens, you really need accountability because you are masters of diversion. You are masters of having a conversation. Squirrel, and then you move on to the next thing, right? 
I mean, you're the people that go on and on and on and on. You need somebody in your life who's going to hold you accountable to those three things that you're committed to and that you're going to go deep in. And here's the deal. Don't pick a number seven, another number seven. It's like having two gas pedals in a Corvette and no brakes. You go really fast, but it's probably not going to end well. You need accountability in your life. And one other thing I want to say about accountability, you number sevens, you've got to ask for it. I can't come up to you and say, hey, number seven, I want to be accountability in your life. It doesn't work that way. It won't be effective. You've got to invite someone to help you to become accountable to those three things or whatever else you might have them help you to be accountable in your life. So who are those people in your life who can ask you the hard questions, the honest questions, that when you go off on a tangent and say, hey, let's do this, they look at you and go, no, we're talking about this. Because you identified this is something important, something deep, something you are going to stay committed to. We're staying right here. Invite some accountability, a person or a couple people, accountability in your life. And number three, make Jesus one of your three. Make Jesus one of your three commitments, your lifelong commitments. That's what Barnabas did. I mean, that's how he started his life, was having this, this incredible encounter with Jesus Christ. And it made all the difference in the world in his life. See, because if you're, if you're a seven without Jesus, you're just the happy-go-lucky guy. You're just the, the guy uh, or the gal who can, uh, you know, throw out jokes and do the one-liners and you go through life flitting from one thing to the next. Without Jesus... You're kind of like cotton candy. Oh, it tastes so good going down, and the sugar high is awesome, but it is short term. And so when you make Jesus part of your life, one of your three commitments, he all of a sudden becomes the anchor. He becomes the one uh, who is the rock in your life, the one who you uh, are invited to go deep with uh, and with an accountability partner, someone to say, hey, how are you doing with Jesus? What's Jesus saying to you? How is Jesus growing you? How is Jesus stretching you? How, is Je how are you confused by Jesus? How is Jesus irritating you? Someone who's going to ask those really hard questions, but you got to come back to Jesus over and over and over, which means you only get to make two more commitments if you make Jesus one of your commitments. And I just made life a whole lot more difficult for you, number sevens, I know. But I think that's how important Jesus is for you sevens, you enthusiasts, you optimists. That's how important he was to Barnabas. And when you do that, when you make a commitment to Jesus, to walk deep with Jesus, you might be like Barnabas and impact the world thousands of years later. People won't even know your name. But you might be that influencer, that connector, that impactor uh, that sets up, that tees up the Apostle Pauls of today to continue to carry the church into the, into the future and, and just grow the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for Barnabas. Uh, many of us, Lord, uh, have underthought about Barnabas uh, coming into this morning. Or maybe we didn't even know him, uh, know his name. But Lord, what an extraordinary man. 
What an incredible guy, how you gifted him to be an enthusiast, to be an optimist, to be a cheerleader, uh, to be a guy who looks at all sorts of people, including the Apostle Paul, and says, you need a second chance. And then he sticks his neck out there to the rest of the disciples and says, I think we got to give this guy a chance. God, thank you for those people. Thank you for those enthusiasts, those optimists that can see the good through whatever is going on in the world, whatever is going on in an individual situation. Lord, as we welcome them into the church, as we walk alongside them in the church, may we be people who send them out into the world to share your joy and your love and your freedom and your forgiveness with a dark and hurting world. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. prayer.